the In Conversation podcast series, with author, Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. The very best way to promote your podcasts. Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is a certified meditation teacher, transformational relationship coach and author, American Sondra Harmon. Hi Sondra, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. You are very welcome. Where are you living at the moment? Actually, right now I'm in Puerto Rico. And how long have you been in Puerto Rico? I've been here a little bit over a year. The idea was to live part of the time here in Puerto Rico and part of the time in Manhattan, which is where I've been living recently. But with all the travel restrictions going on, we ended up just staying here in Puerto Rico full time. Well, I understand you are a certified meditation teacher and also a transformational relationship coach. Where did you study and which qualifications did you obtain? I became a meditation teacher with a group in India. It's called Ecamm now. And it's one of those places, if you Google Ecamm, it's like the big place that looks like Taj Mahal, except it's like four times the size. And it was started by a couple, Pritaji and Krishnaji. And they're spiritual teachers that come from a lineage of spiritual teachers, but they're also, they're also married. And when I was really starting my quest to figure out like, what's the deal with relationships? I had, I'd come across them through a retreat that they'd done in the U.S. where a friend of mine kept saying, oh, you know, you need to, you know, you need to come to this meditation retreat. I'm like, no way. How can you possibly think I'm going to meditate? I have ADD. I'm like, I can't, I can't sit still. How? We're like, no, no. And he must have asked me four or five times to come to various retreats. I'm like, no. Anyway, I finally, um, got to experience one of their meditations, which was so simple and so quick and so transformative that I was like, okay, sign me up. I'll go to whatever retreat it is. And then I ended up in San Francisco, just got like blown away in terms of, of how it shifted, not what I knew. Like there was no new knowledge, but it shifted like my consciousness that I, I decided I was going to go to India and study with them. So I studied to become a meditation instructor and then also to become what they call a, a consciousness transformer, one consciousness transformer. And I learned more about how do you, how do you teach and how do you help people change and shift in a way that's not about reading books or, um, you know, learning new tips or tools or strategies. And 
I also at the time had run across a book that they had written called Freedom in Relationships and like blew me away. So I spent, I spent about a year going back and forth to India and studying with them. I had my own monk that <laughs> helped me out, but then I started specializing in their relationship meditations and wisdoms. And I did a lot of that in New York. So I really became familiar with what are those barriers that are in our mind and our heart to keeping us from connecting. And then along that time, there's a woman, Alison Armstrong. She's very, very well known in certain circles and unfortunately not very well known in other circles who has a background in researching with men. And uh, her, in fact, her website is, I think, Understand Men. She said she'd started researching men because she wanted to know thy enemy. <laughs> right? Right? She'd gone through a difficult divorce and she wanted to understand men so she could know thy enemy. And after researching with thousands of men, she's like, men are pretty cool. Like men are awesome. And that's what she taught. So I um, was introduced to some of her books and she was offering a course to learn how she taught transformation, which, you know, also we traveled around the country with her learning and then also researching. So I spent two and a half years doing similar research, re researching with men, researching with women on different aspects of relationships and different aspects of masculine and feminine energy, as well as different healing modalities. So those are kind of the two most impactful long-term training programs that I've been on with various mentors. Well, I understand you provide guidance to people who have repeatedly become involved with failed relationships. So what has your experience been of difficult romantic relationships? I always say I'm kind of like uh, Goldilocks. You know the story of Goldilocks and the three bears? So it was my first relationship, and these were all like eight to ten years. My first relationship, it was just too hard. So I switched to another one, which was too soft. So then I'm thinking, okay, the third one will be just right, right? My experience of it, though, was it was worse than the first two combined. And it just kept getting like more and more difficult. And I was having the same issues, but with different men, completely different men. And at one point, I just, I just had to change. I had to like look at what was going on. And a woman that I had just barely met, but she was the first person I ever saw really have a great relationship. And with all these relationships, she said, you know, sweetie, what's in it for you? And that's when I first turned inward. And that's what took me on my journey to India. That's what took me on reading two or three books about relationships every single week. That's what took me on this tour with Alison Armstrong, traveling and, and learning from her. So, yeah, so that was my experience. And I just don't want, I don't want people to suffer as long as I did. In my first book, I've actually got a chapter called Relationship Patterns. The, the viewpoint that I take on it is there is something in us and it doesn't matter where it came from because it like, you know, could come from parents. It could come from society. It could come actually just from our DNA. Like there's certain instinctual behaviors we have because we're either men or we're women and we're all human that compel us to do things that maybe don't make sense in the modern world, don't make sense for us, don't make sense for the type of relationship we're trying to build. And it's a lot, to me, it comes down to a lack of consciousness. So bringing conscious awareness to that kind of landmine in your own head or brain or consciousness, whatever you want to call it, to me is the key. It's different for every person what's there, but I like to look at that moment 
of hurt and upset as the key to finding out what's going on. And too many times what we do is we sweep it under the rug, right? Oh, no, it's not a big deal. Oh, you know, he didn't mean that or, you know, whatever. It's like we hold on to the hurt, but we pretend we don't hurt or we blame ourselves. We could blame the other. And even though that sounds like something that may be liberating, it actually still keeps us attached. To keep that blame going doesn't allow us to look inward. Anyway, and, and so in my book, that, that's my exploration, are what are the 12 different things that we do rather than allow ourselves to experience the hurt and look underneath what's going on so that we only have to go through it once. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk to you about your book a little bit later on. I did want to ask you, what do you believe are the biggest myths regarding maintaining a healthy relationship? One of the biggest myths that I see that totally changed my my world is I think that there's this idea out there that when you have this great relationship, you'll never get your feelings hurt. You'll never be disrespected. You'll never be disappointed. All of these things that we think that when we have the perfect relationship, we won't feel those things. We won't experience that. And I know that's, that's kind of what I was looking at. It's like, well, wait a second. I'm being hurt. I'm being upset. And I'm like, this is, you know, there's like wrong. I've got to figure out how to stop this. I've got to change the other person. So that's like my number one thing. Like, just realize you're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to feel disrespected. You're going to get disappointed. And it's not that you you won't. It's how do you deal with it? And how do you use that to become even more connected with yourself and your own needs and your own, like what fills you up and the other person too? So that's probably the number one thing that I, I look at. Well, what advice would you give someone who is single and looking for a serious relationship? A little bit, it depends on where they are with their former relationships. You know, if they left their relationships hurt and like less than, they were before, if, they, if they're holding on to the past in any way, my first advice would be to dissect and release what's still within them so they can start a new relationship with an open heart rather than starting the relationship with all the walls that they've built before that had to do with somebody else. So if they're, they're coming off bad, I'm going to use the air quotes, bad relationships, that's what I would recommend. If they're in a really good place and they're already open, they're open-hearted, they do, they're not holding on to the past, I would really focus on what is the experience of the relationship they want to create and what do they want to bring to the relationship. So many times we're focusing on what do we want to get from the relationship and to really look at what's the experience you want of the relationship and what you're bringing to it. And I know that sometimes that can come across as, yeah, but... You know, what about me? What about what I'm getting? Right. I'm, you know, I, in my past relationship, I did all this. I did this. I did that. And still I got my heart broken. That falls into the category of there's still a little hurt. But if you're open hearted and you're aware, that's all you have is what, what you're giving. And then I, I guess the, the one last thing for both is how to ask for what you need. And I think not to generalize, but I'm going to generalize women tend to be. <laughs> have more difficulty in asking for what we need. Like it's, and there's a thinking out there that, well, it's just that we expect somebody to read our minds. But I think sometimes it's just easier to have that expectation that they can read our minds rather than risk the no. 
asking for what our heart's desire is, is really vulnerable and it's really hard. And if you're asking from somebody that you really care about, you can end up having all these tricks and strategies to manipulate the person into giving you what you want rather than just coming out and saying, no, this is what I need. This is what I need to be my best self. If you're still holding on to stuff, there's one advice. If you're open-hearted, another, and then learning how to ask for what you need is good for everybody. So we've spoken about singles. What about couples? How would you advise a couple to improve their relationship if it was a bit rocky? One of the things that a lot of times clients will ask is, can we come in as a couple? Can you work with both of us? And I won't do that in the beginning because there is this myth out there. In order for me to be happy, I have to get that other person. I have to get my partner to change. So a lot of people go into, yeah, they go into counseling or they go into therapy together, not because they themselves want to look at themselves and what's going on with them and what they need and why they've got these landmines, but they're going in hoping to get the support of another person to change them, (laughs) that other person. The first thing I would say for couples is, look, if you're the one suffering, look at yourself, not from the lens of blame or from the lens of shame or not being good enough, but like really dig in and see what does it take for you to be joyful, for you to be happy, for you to be fulfilled. Fill yourself up. And now let's look at maybe having some communication about tips and tricks, because it's really hard to ask someone else for something Um, in a relationship when you are demanding it, right? When you have all that energy of like, you know, if you don't pick your socks up, you know, you need to pick your socks up off the floor. What's wrong with you? That, you know, maybe you don't actually need to have socks picked up. Maybe you should pick the socks up. You know, all these things, when you can ask for a change in an open way or communicate in an open way, it's a totally different flavor. So people that are to the point where they want help, I recommend that the person who wants the help starts with getting them self-help. Seems reasonable. I mean, we have to work on ourselves. I mean, I observe that many people go into relationships not looking for a partner, but looking for an unpaid therapist. And unfortunately, many of us are not equipped to be therapists. Yes, because I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. And some of the best advice I got was from this woman who was talking about when she's upset And when she's having frustration and anger, she doesn't go and talk to her husband about it. First, she talks to a bunch of girls that she knows can, you know, can help calm her down, not blame anybody, not be, you know, not kind of going to the, oh my God, he's such a, oh, I don't know if I can say that, but I'm saying it because that's what women will say. And rather than that, to like calm herself down through friends or through reading or through meditation or whatever is that she needs to get herself in a good spot rather than expect her husband to be the one that calms her down, even if he's the one who did something. Because it actually wasn't about him. It was about her reaction. So we can't expect to hire a therapist in a relationship. We just had our anniversary. My husband and I did on Thursday. And our wedding vows were a little bit different in that We weren't promising to love and cherish and stay together forever and ever, you know, sickness and health. What we ended up having is our vows with something that went more along the lines of, I promise to nurture compassion in my own being. I promise to care for my feelings and then share that compassion with you. 
I promise to nurture joy in my own being and then share that joy with you. I mean, it kind of went something like that, but you get the idea. It's like our vows were about us taking responsibility for filling up ourselves first and then, you know, overflowing with joy. Now you have something to give to somebody else. If somebody isn't filled up themselves with love and joy and compassion, any amount they give to someone else, they're doing it as an investment and they want interest back, right? Because they're giving something they don't have. Well, you can't pour from an empty cup, as the old saying goes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So really, that's why when I talk to people that are part of relationships, I work with the individual that's suffering to get them filled up with all the compassion, all the self-esteem, all the love, all the joy, all the ability to care for their own feelings so that they're not grasping, you know, like a drowning person. It's like, you know, I need more attention. I need more love. I need more understanding. I need to be seen. If you can be seen yourself and see yourself and take care of yourself and grow this love, then you share it with the other. And it's like, yay, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right? It's just different flow. It's a different flow. How long have you been married? Yeah, we've only been married two years. So I went through this journey of, and for anyone out there listening about how, you know, the possibilities of having had difficult relationships, because I had, I'd had very difficult relationships and everything turned around for me when I was 49. And that's when I started reading and researching and learning and Oh my God, I watched so many TED Talks. TED Talks saved my life. And then I I met my husband when a couple of years after that, I was 50, 51. And we met, it was amazing from the beginning. Not that he doesn't hurt my feelings and not that I don't do things that upset him. Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. What is it called and what is it about? It's called The Power of Ouch. And The tagline's An Illustrated Guide to Healing from Hurt and Creating a Life of Love and Connection. It's about starting with the idea that, you know, we're kind of born for connection. You know, like, when have you ever watched little kids playing and how easily they connect? And total strangers, you know, they're little, these cute little toddlers on the playground or the beach, I see them here, and they just, you know, they're open and they're smiling. And my premise is that we're born for connection. But what happens? And... That's where I go into the hurt that happens naturally. Part of relationships, like I said, but also part of life. Like life is going to hurt our feelings. Life is going to disappoint us. Life, right? All these things. And what is it that we do rather than just letting that hurt flow through us and getting back to connection? Because again, using my toddlers on a playground example, yeah, you know, one of them will get in a fight over a toy or something, but then 10 minutes later, they're playing again. You know, adults, we hold on to this. So it's actually a fun book. It's illustrated with a lot of cartoons. And I use a metaphor of hot potatoes. Hot potato meaning that thing that, you know, it's hot, it hurts. And yet we're holding on to it in all these different ways. You know, we're sweeping it under the rug, which is kind of storing them up until they come up to our eyeballs and we explode. Or we file our hot potatoes away, waiting to pull it out at the right moment when he does the next thing that's upsetting, right? All these things we do with our hot potatoes. Then there's actually in the middle, it's a choice. All of this is a choice. And I think sometimes we don't realize we have a choice. Do we want to hold on to these hot potatoes? And there's good reasons to have them. I'm not saying, in fact, the whole book goes awesome reasons to hold on to hurt this way and then awesome reasons to not hold on to hurt in this way. And you get to a point where it's a choice. Do you want to hold on to it? Are you being served more 
by the blame or holding on to the past or replaying it over in your mind again and again and again. Are you being served more than that? Because there's good reasons for it. Or are you going to be more served by letting it go and having connection and having the possibility of connection? So there's a choice. And then there's a, like a meditation that I walk people through, which it's hard to walk somebody through a meditation in a book. So there's an online resource that goes along with it. The whole book is based on a workshop I did. I was in lockdown for a year. So I took a workshop that I did and turned it into a book. And then the last part is looking at, okay, yeah, we've taken that hurt. We've let it float. We've decided we don't want to hold on to it. We've let it dissipate. We've let it dissolve. But why did we get it in the first place? Like what was there in, what was there in our minds or in the way we look at life that created it? Because you can see one event can happen and two people can look at it totally differently. So what is it in your mind that's having you look at something in a way that's creating hurt. And I call it the mess. It's like looking at the mess in our minds that's creating the hurt. And it's an exploration into the meanings that we give things. It's an exploration into the expectations that we have. I'm not a person who says don't have expectations, but are there expectations that are causing the hurt? We're looking at the strategies that you have. Strategies meaning, are you looking at your partner or some group of people or life itself as an enemy. That's when you start to strategize. That's when you're, you know, you're like, okay, if I say this, then they'll do this. Or, oh, I better not say this. And I'm going to like pretend that I didn't hear that. And then later I'm going to catch like all the, oh my God, we spend so much time strategizing. Okay. So strategy is part of the mess. And then the last one are the stories that we tell. So you have M-E-S-S, easy to remember, meanings, expectations, strategies, stories. And then the last part that I have people explore is taking a look at the thing that makes messes really messy, which is you and how so much of what we're doing is just looking at ourselves. And that's one of the things that I think keeps us disconnected in relationships is we're so focused on our experience that we're not looking at the experience of the other. You know, somebody, and this happens a lot with women, you know, their, their boyfriends, their husband raises their voice, they're angry. And now all of a sudden it's like, how could you do that to me? That's not nice. I don't like when you're angry. Stop. Without exploring, well, what was the experience that you were having that was causing you to react that way? So the last part of the mess is exploring how we're not necessarily always connected to the experience of the other. And that's it. And that's the whole book. So Sandra, how can people reach out to you? Ah, yeah. Well, one is they can go to my website. So it's um, sandraharmon.com. And I definitely um, have my got my email address there. You're free to email me about anything. I actually love questions from random people because huh, it gives me a chance to think about what would be a viewpoint of this? What would be a way of looking at it? So I do a lot of Facebook Lives. I have a Facebook Live group that is also, you can get to it from the website. I wanted to do for this um, podcast is I have my book and you can order it on Amazon and you can in Kindle or in paperback. But I actually have a PDF. And if anybody listening just wants to read it and wants to download the PDF with all the pictures, it's really easy. They can go to sandraharmon.com forward slash free book. I really just want to make it available because that's my mission. Honestly, I just don't want people to suffer as long as I did. I was 49 when I first started realizing that maybe there's a better way. And I was 50, 51 before I really started going, yeah, yeah, this is the way. And if I could have people not wait half a decade, that would make me happy.
I'm sure it will make many people happy. So Sondra in Puerto Rico, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been fun. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share another In Conversation podcast coming soon.